This is AutoLine This Week, the show that gets you inside the global automotive industry. AutoLine This Week partnered with the Consulate General of Canada in Detroit to produce this episode. Hi, I'm John McElroy. Thanks for joining us on AutoLine This Week. As you all know, the automotive industry is going through a mega transformation right now. And we're going to get into that, but specifically in today's show, we're going to bore into what's going on at the Ford Motor Company. And that's because my special guest today is Lisa Drake, the Chief Operating Officer for North America for the Ford Motor Company. Lisa, I know how busy you are. Thank you so much for being able to take the time to talk with me today. Oh, you bet, John. Thanks for having me. So a month ago or so, Ford Motor Company announced that it was going to build what you guys are calling Blue Oval City. Massive new manufacturing operation, six square miles. I can't even get my head around that. The famous uh, Ford Rouge plant in Dearborn is, I think, one third the size of what you're going to build. Uh, but I'd like to get your thinking into why did you at Ford decide that you had to go with a complete greenfield site of that magnitude, six square miles of manufacturing? You bet. Well, there were two primary reasons. Um, believe it or not, the first one started with batteries. Um, when you look at the cost of the battery in relation to the total cost of the car, and this has been said over and over again, it's the most expensive component in the car. And to optimize the cost of that battery, we wanted to be able to locate it where access to raw materials would be most efficient, where we could then ship it literally right across the street into the assembly plant. So very limited freight and handling. And we wanted to be able to vertically integrate those battery cell components, whether in the future it would be cathode production, precursor production, copper foil production, recycling, and uh, a site of that size, you know, it needs to be pretty large to be able to vertically integrate. Um, in addition to batteries, you know, in the future, we may vertically integrate, you know, inverters, chargers. I mean, you can dream of what this is going to be in the next 20 years. Um, and so we wanted to have the space to expand. Um, we also wanted to take advantage of our kind uh, connected vehicle. And the way we're architecting our next generation products, specifically that next generation F-Series, is all about using the embedded systems in it to help the car manufacture itself. So our intent is, as soon as that vehicle gets into our final assembly operation, that it's powered up, that it has the right domain controllers that are now configured, and they'll help the product actually work its way through the manufacturing system, checking on quality, checking on connections, communicating with the operators, allowing the operators to communicate with the car, uh, and to do that, you have to lay the plant out in a green sheet. So uh, we knew that we didn't want to try and turn over a facility. Um, and so because we needed that new manufacturing clean sheet approach, and we needed the space to expand in the future for vertical integration, we needed a size of that site. Lisa, that's so interesting. You know, the, the history of the Ford Motor Company going back 100 years ago was one of a very vertically integrated company. Sounds like we're coming full circle and going back to that again. Well, I'll tell you, at one point, a financial investor had asked me my definition of vertical integration, and I looked it up on Wikipedia, and the reference was the Ford Rouge, uh, you know, from the early 1920th, you know, 20s. And I thought to myself, it's very serendipitous that here we are, again, reinventing ourselves. And frankly, John, I saw it in the face of Bill Ford at the Tennessee event, 
you know, he was in, uh, sitting at one row ahead of me. And when it was being announced, even though we all knew what we were going to say, when it was really being announced, uh, he turned around to me and he pulled his sunglasses down. He had tears in his eyes and he just said, you know, way to go. And it, it chokes me up to this day because I really do believe that it's the pinnacle of the investment for the future. Lisa, I was at that event, as you know, just outside of Memphis, Tennessee, where Blue Oval City is going in. You were all kind of emotional. Even Jim Farley and his remarks got a little bit choked up. Why is this so important to you that you all would get that emotional about a plant opening? You know, I think a little bit of it is finally delivering. For me personally, it was delivering on Bill's vision that he has had for this company for quite a long time. You know, I was very um, lucky to have been back in 2007, 8, 9, the chief engineer on our hybrids and actually our Focus Electric EV that we put out. I was the chief engineer on that product. And back then, Bill had this vision. He knew that this is where we needed to be. We had challenges, but, you know, we had the recession that had hit us and many auto companies were just struggling to survive. And we didn't have the billions of investment that we could put into the EV space that I think he really wanted to. Um, but what we did do is over time, we kept all of that engineering going. We, you know, even though we weren't putting out a lot of product, our battery cell team was growing. They were tearing down cells from around the world. They were visiting every cell supplier around the world. They were deep into cathode materials and into raw materials. And so that allowed us, when we decided to really turn it on uh, over the last year, we came out of the gate at lightning speed, no, no pun intended. Um, and I think that's because the engineering team kept their commitment to the technology and the vision. And once we were ready as a company to really go for it, we were able to go for it in a pretty big way. Lisa, why the return to uh, vertical integration? Uh, you know, years ago, like I said, a century ago, that was very common. As this, uh, the decades went on, automakers started outsourcing more to suppliers who supply to every car company they possibly can so they can potentially get more scale so why the return to vertical integration now? What's the advantage? Well, I mean, to be quite frank, it's uh, you have to decide what's the most important part of the vehicle that you want to control. And given the battery cost, given the, given the supply of these raw materials, especially domestic supply and what I'll call ethical supply of the materials, you have to control that. Uh, and now that we have the scale that we have, we're able to do that. We're able to come to the table with whether it's governments, whether it's mining companies, whether it's cell suppliers, and we have the scale and the commitment and frankly, the product, the exceptional product that is giving them the confidence that, yep, they want to invest with Ford. Um, and they're allowing us to be a deeper part of that, that value chain. In the past, we didn't have that volume necessarily. And so we had to just transact with our cell suppliers, uh, but we're in a very different space today. Yeah. Ford's not just putting a lot of eggs in the EV basket, so to speak. You've put together a growth strategy, a growth plan that you're calling Ford Plus. Where do you think Ford's going to end up by the end of the decade? General Motors says it's going to double its revenue by the end of the decade. Where, where do you think Ford's going to come in in that regard? You know, that is probably as, as exciting as batteries in the EV side of the business is. That's probably the more important customer facing exciting side of the transformation with Ford Plus. And when I think just how, you know, I have a Mach-E and my, on my iPhone, my Ford Pass app is literally on the front right next to Google Maps, uh, Pinterest and my Starbucks app. 
Uh, and I interface with that app constantly, at least twice a day, checking in you know, a state of charge, uh, deciding when I want to charge my vehicle, checking where a charging station might be, planning a trip. And the fact that now Ford Motor Company will be such a presence to the customer with these connected services right on their phone and that device that has such important real estate on the face of that phone to see Ford Motor Company and that app on the Ford Pass app. Now we can unlock that with all the connected vehicles that we'll have. And we'll have close to 30 million of those by the end of the decade. That is a, just such a huge number. Um, and the types of you know, services that we envision, subscriptions that we envision that we can deliver to that customer, that's where I think the value unlocks, not to mention Ford Pro. I mean, we dominate in the commercial vehicle business today. And I can say as a proud trucker, um, you know, I'm really excited to see what Ted Candace is going to do with that organization. And when you add electrification and connectivity into a space that we already dominate, I think it's a fantastic recipe. Okay, so I'm going to help the audience with some of these acronyms. Ford Pro is your plan to go into uh, commercial vehicle services. And that's part of Ford Plus, which is the master plan, I believe, for the growth for the company ahead. Is that right? That's right. Thanks, John. Very, very well. You've listened <laughs> uh, quite well. Uh, yes, Jim Farley would be very proud. Um, yes, Ford Plus is the overarching strategy. And one of the big pillars inside of it is really leaning into our commercial vehicle strength, which is Ford Pro. It's led by Ted Canis. Um, it's built on the back of an incredible world-class set of products. I mean, we're, we lead in the market share in the U.S. today, close to 43%. Uh, it's built on the back of Transit, the world's best-selling cargo van. And now we're leaning into services for all of those customers that are enabled by the connectivity in these products and then also by the electrification of them. Total cost of ownership is in a completely different ballpark once you electrify these products. You know, and our plan, that's why we're leaning in with the e-transit the way we are. Our plan is to really go out and service these customers in an even better way than we are today. You know, Ford's been strong in commercial vehicles going way back. I mean, way back. Why the the recognition now? Maybe I'd say that commercial offers a whole lot more opportunity that Ford hasn't tapped. I think it's just an intersection. I wouldn't say it's a, you know, it's an intersection of our capabilities all building up at a speed and they're intersecting. You know, you're right. We've always had a strong commercial vehicle business, but it's built on the back of the gas and the diesel power packs. But with our lean into electrification and the platform work on F-150 Lightning and e-transit, we realized we could unlock a lot of value, especially because these battery cell prices are coming down. Now that you know the, the cell prices are coming down, we've vertically integrated our e-motors and our gearboxes. And as you do that, this total cost of ownership starts to make a lot of sense in the commercial space. Not to mention, it's the right thing to do. And many of these companies also just, they want to be green. They want to participate in this you know, movement. So I think, and then you have the whole connected side of the business. We've got Doug Field on board. He's absolutely fantastic. And he's going to push that acceleration to a whole nother level that we didn't even dream of. So it's this intersection that's all of a sudden making this really exciting. And for the audience's benefit, Doug Fields, who you mentioned, had worked at both Tesla and Apple. So that was a great get for the company and as it plans to uh, figure out where it needs to go with this future technology. But, but coming back to Ford Pro and these connected services, it seems to me like that's a, a, an intelligent move because commercial fleets 
will pay for services that help their return on investment, that help to return uh, lower their total cost of ownership. Whereas a cheapskate like me, I don't even pay for you know uh, digital radio in in my car. But but commercial fleets will pay for all kinds of services that Ford could provide. That, that's right. That's right. And the fact that we have such a network, I mean, over 600 commercial dealers are out there to service all of these, you know, the products that are there. And the fact that we have a full lineup, so you can have anything, you know, from a, a Ranger to an F-150, Super Duty, our cutaways, our Econolines, just the variation on the transits alone. I mean, we're a full line manufacturer for them. And we plan to have electrification solutions in many of those products. Um, not to mention just the, the charging and the solutions we want to provide for them in their depots so that charging these products is very easy. It's turnkey. You call Ford, you tell us what you need. We come in, we install, we help them with their payment schedule with utility companies because um, that's a hard part of the business right now, especially for your small and medium sized fleet owners. You know, they don't always have the ability or even the financing. Uh, to do that, which is why we also have, you know, the financing arm of Ford Pro being developed, Thin Simple. Um, so it's an amazing time to just transform that business. And again, I'm really proud of what Ted Canis and the team are doing. Uh, they're moving quite quickly. As you know, full-size pickup owners tend to be very conservative. Uh, and yet, I think you've booked something like 150,000 reservations for the electric version, the Lightning of the F-150. Did that surprise you? Um, I would say it uh, it surprised us a bit. It was a little more overwhelming, the initial response than we thought. I, I thought we... We knew we could build the franchise to that level. There was no doubt we could build a franchise there. It's the strongest franchise on the planet. So we would get there. Um, how fast the reservations came in and how serious the reservation holders were. Uh, you know, we're planning on a very high rate of conversion, you know, on these 150,000 and, um, and we're ready. And once, the, once these uh, customers drive it, I mean, most of them have made the reservation, have never driven the product. And I think, that's where the overwhelming demand is going to start to pour in. Once people start to drive these products, it's really difficult to imagine yourself going back into an internal combustion engine. You know, there's no capability that's left on the table once you move to an EV. And as you mentioned, you've got an electric version of your transit van, the e-transit coming. Any early indications of what the, the order uh, rate might be on that vehicle? Well, we haven't disclosed that yet, but I can tell you that uh, we're looking at increasing capacity on that one as well. So <laughs> that's great. Lisa, I got to ask, what got you into the automotive industry? And I had to look a bit of your background. You've been in manufacturing, you've been in engineering, you've been in product development, you've been in purchasing. That's a very well-rounded career in the automotive industry. But what ever, ever motivated you to get into the industry in the first place? Uh, you know, I have to say, I, uh, I went to uh, Carnegie Mellon University with the intent to go to medical school. I was going to be, a, I was a biology major when I started, I was going to go to medical school. Um, and I actually have a biomedical engineering minor in addition to a mechanical engineering degree. So I never thought I would go into the auto industry, but I grew up in a family in an area of Pennsylvania. We were really into cars. Uh, my uncle, uh, you know, raced a car. Um, my parents, we would often go on the weekends to funny car 
races. I don't know if that's the right term up here, but they make really loud noise. They go really fast. And, oh yeah. Everybody um, who's into racing knows about funny cars, the dragsters. Yeah. Funny car racing. Um, you know, my, um, family talked about cubic, cubic inch, you know, engines like CCs and not, you know, they call them motors. They would call them motors, not, you know, engines. Um, so maybe a little bit of it was in my blood. But um, Ford Motor Company came to campus and um, I signed up to interview and I really enjoyed the interview and they invited me to Dearborn. And I have to tell you, John, when I landed at uh, Dearborn DTW and then I drove into Dearborn, I saw that big tire on I-94. I forget what brand it is. I'm not even sure what brand it is, but that huge tire. And, and then I got into Dearborn and every building had a Ford Oval on it. And then there was a museum about the history of the automotive business. And I was like, wow, like this is a community. Like if I were to leave Pittsburgh and come to Michigan, I was coming to a community of people who love cars and love Ford. It wasn't a company. Um, and that tire, like literally figuratively was like this monument to me of the the motor city of the auto industry and i just i came home and i remember telling my mom of all the offers mom i really hope ford gives me an offer because that's where i want to go um and sure enough they did and and here's where i am but um so i really encourage i think about the virtual environment these days where you know we talk about interviewing and and i really encourage you know students to really go to where you're going to work if you're not going to be you know go visit and see what's there because there's an environment and a culture aspect to it that you really can't pick up unless you come. And I don't know if I would have chosen for it had I not come here, you know, in person. And, and not only did you choose it, you stayed because there's been a lot of women who come into the industry. But as you know, very male dominated. As I mentioned before, you were in manufacturing. Yowza, especially when you started, very few women there. But you stayed. Why did you stay? Because many women just say, forget it. I'm not dealing with this. I'm getting harassed or I'm not being promoted or fill in the blank, whatever it is. They don't feel like they're really achieving what they could, but you did. What's some of the things that led you to stay and what advice could you give to others based on that? You know, I would say it started with um, incredibly good mentors. Uh, and frankly, all of my mentors through my career up until recently have been men, males. And um, a lot of them had daughters. You know, many, two of my, my good mentors, they had three daughters apiece. Uh, so I think I had access to really good male mentorship and, and they were responsible for a lot of the moves that, that I made in my, my career. Even when I had self-doubt on, am I really ready for the next job? They were like, no, Lisa, you're ready. Trust me, you're ready. And if you have any problems, come see me, we'll figure it out. And it turns out they were always right. Every time they were right. Finally, at the end, when I actually got promoted above one of them, you know, he said, well, it looks like you don't need a mentor anymore. I said, oh, no, no, I still do. I, I need to come get this, you know, positive reinforcement from you. So I think there were very good male mentors in Ford. And sometimes I don't think they get enough credit, you know, for that. Um, I will also say, though, that, you know, I came from uh, my mother's very strong woman. Um, she, she stayed at home, but anything she wanted to do, she did herself. And so I think I grew up in an environment that just said I can do anything I want. So I need to give a little bit of credit to my, to my parents and how they raised me. Um, but then Ford always had something else you could do. You didn't have to leave Ford to have a new experience. You know, if I wanted to work in an assembly plant, I could. If I wanted to be in the studio with the clays and see the designers talk about, you know, design language, I could. Um, if I wanted to get into the financial side, 
I could. I mean, a company the size of Ford uh, has anything you could ever want to, to, to tackle. You just have to ask that you want to do something different. So I yeah. think uh, the company itself, and it very mission-based, very mission-based, very family-oriented company. I had opportunities to leave, as do, do many people, but um, nothing really ever wanted to, you know, was good enough to lure me away. I think everything I needed was right here. Lisa, I think what you're talking about, mentors, is extremely important. I benefited from having a mentor in my career that that changed my career. How do you go about getting a mentor? It just seems to happen by accident. And for maybe some people who are not lucky enough to have that kind of connection, how would you advise them to go out and get a mentor? You know, that's such an important question. And it's something that uh, I lead an employee resource group at Ford called the Women of Ford. Uh, we have 33 chapters around the globe. We have 6,600 members in this organization, and they are a little powerhouse of an organization. And one of the things that we've developed is um, a process by which some of our younger stage career uh, females will be paired with a mentor because it is so hard to find one, especially in this virtual environment where you know, unless you're on camera, it's hard to be seen when you have 50 people in a meeting. You can't, in the past, we used to pick it up by seeing someone say something really profound or important or participating. Um, and we don't do that as much. So we've uh, we've developed a pairing program now because we want to go find, Hal Tai Tang says it often, he'll say, where's the next Lisa Drake? How do we, how do we find her? You know, and I agree. How do I find myself in that organization? And I spend a lot of time trying to develop ways in which we can find more really great capable females that just might be overlooked. Of course, it's one thing once they're at the company to, to nurture and grow them in their careers, but you got to have that pipeline feeding them. I'm often asked to speak to engineering schools or I meet with young engineering students, overwhelmingly male. I mean, over 90% male. How are you going to feed future engineers, future designers, future manufacturing people when in school right now, it's so male dominated. You know, it is, but there's also a great pipeline. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I went to the uh, Society of Women Engineers Conference. There were 15,000 college engineers at the conference, 15,000. Um, I think the pool is out there. The, the candidate pool is out there. Um, we have to present ourselves uh, in a way that makes them look. And, uh, you know, I joked one of our strategies, we put our Ford booth right outside the women's restroom at the conference. <laughs> it, was, it was a strategy, uh, but it worked because we had a line, you know, a, a really long line at the Ford booth. And um, a lot of them were coming because we had just unveiled Maki, -E, you know, and people now saw, okay, Ford is in this electrification game. And, you know, so I think we're going to do better in the future. The pipeline's there. We just have to recruit. And part of the reason I wanted to do the interview, John, is that I want to make sure that anybody who is listening and the women that might be listening understand that there is a path and there's a place. And Ford is a great company to, to work for. And we're very committed to gender equality and gender equity at the top of the house with Jim Farley. You know, and so I'm hoping people look our way, especially with great things like Blue Oval City, the Battery Park in Kentucky, all the connectivity work. You know, it's going to be a great place to be. Do you think that uh, companies, Ford included, have realized they need to present themselves to the public 
as a more compelling place to come to work uh, as as a not just to come and get a job and have a nice career, but to be able to go out and change the world. Is, isn't that something Ford and other automakers and even suppliers need to do? You know, absolutely. And part of the excitement about this electrification space is that, you know, it really is core to who we wanted to be for a very long time. We knew we would be in the EV game. There was no doubt about it. It was watching the world change, watching consumer demand change. Frankly, you know, hats off to Tesla and Elon Musk and the way that he's accelerated the understanding and the excitement around EVs. Um, you know, now's the prime time. And I think there's a lot of um, young students who are very mission-based. They want it, they're civic-minded, you know, and um, Ford now can present itself in a very different way that's probably more aligned with their values than they might have ever thought. Are you seeing that happen now? I.e. more women, more diversity, not just women, coming into the company? I would say I couldn't directly tie it to those recent announcements. Those are so fresh for us. Over the last year, we've really pivoted, but I can tell you we're going to lean into it. There is no doubt that, you know, when I go back to campus at Carnegie Mellon, I mean, we all, the Mach-E will be down there, the F-150 Lightning, some battery cutaways, uh, you know. So I think that's going to be how we will attract some of the, the next generation talent. So quick, we're down to the end. It's 2030. What does the Ford Motor Company look like? Oh, boy. Um, I would say one of the leading EV companies in the world. I would say uh, carbon neutral, uh, close to moving in that path to carbon neutral, um, vibrant, full of like youth and excitement. Um, and the leadership team that's going to take us to the next 100, 100 years will be in play. So I think it's going to be fantastic. I, I love what you said, uh, uh, the next 100 years. Now that's planning forward. And, and with well, that, <laughs> At a minimum, yeah. At a minimum. Lisa, we're going to have to wrap it up. But again, thanks so much for your time today. Very interesting insights into where Ford's going and what you've done to be able to get there. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, John. AutoLine This Week partnered with the Consulate General of Canada in Detroit to produce this episode.